Welcome to another episode of the Ironforge podcast. This is a podcast where I interview clients, entrepreneurs, team members, and investors to hear their unique take on entrepreneurship and the startup community. My name is Chris Roach. I'm, of course, your host, and I'm delighted to say today that I am joined by one of my colleagues, business partner, and chief operations officer here at The Forge, Mr. Jeremy Million. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I look forward to uh, kind of seeing what it's all about. And I know I've seen a lot of your previous podcasts before, so I'm excited to finally be a part of it. And- uh, kind of see what you have. Yeah, we took a, a quick break from the, the the Meet the Team series. We had a couple of clients that were sending us emails and requesting to be on it. So we had to take a little bit of a break from the Meet the Team series. But we know we've got uh, we've got you coming on it this week. And I think in the next couple of weeks, we've got our CEO, Sumner, coming on as well, as well as we had Ian two weeks ago. So we are getting back in there with a couple of our team members. Um, now, you are the Chief Operations Officer here at Iron Forge, which sounds terribly fancy. Uh, what is it exactly... <laughs> that a chief operations officer here at the forge does and you know what's your kind of day-to-day in your role within the company um i guess what don't i do um it seems to kind of spread a, a wide a breadth of things but i guess on a day-to-day basis you know one of the biggest things is kind of overseeing all the active projects and active clients that we have either you know in design development or discovery process um, just making sure that You know, my project managers are managing them correctly. They're staying in communication uh, with all the clients, making sure they have everything they want, Um, ultimately keeping everything moving forward. Um, You know, we work on anywhere between 30 to 50 projects at any given time. Uh, So keeping all of that stuff moving forward and on track um, is definitely a full-time job. Um, Also dealing with a lot of the contracting on the backside. Um, any, you know, larger client relations that kind of come through the doors, you know, training project managers, uh, hiring uh, technical writers, training PMs, um, you know, working very closely with yourself um, as a chief revenue officer and Sumner, the CEO, um, just kind of keeping, you know, the whole ship moving forward uh, in the right direction. So. Awesome. Well, I, I mean, I know what you do on a day-to-day basis, obviously, in <laughs> working with you. Um, a lot of people that I think have, have worked with you in the past, you know, assume, well, you're a project manager, so you're just going to be working with me on this project. And I think little do they know there's a thousand other things that you have on a to-do list on a, a day-to-day basis to be able to work with. One of the things, you know, having that much on your plate, how do you find balancing, you know, all of those different hats that you have to wear? And you know, a lot of people, when they say, you know, be an entrepreneur, you have to wear many hats when you're first starting and really your role in the company is ever changing and you're kind of going where the company needs you most at any point. So how do you manage having those different hats that you wear and being able to, to pivot and shift your role within the company? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a long process getting to this point. Um, you know, it's taken a lot of time to really understand, you know, where I'm needed, uh, backing off on certain areas that maybe I don't need to be there. Um, taking a step back and trying to oversee the whole thing. Uh, one of the biggest things that I found that really helps me run my life now um, is a calendar. Um, I live and die by it. Um, If it's not on the calendar, I probably am not going to show up there um, just because it notifies me everywhere I need to go, what meetings I need to attend, um, and really helps me schedule out my week, you know, whether it be scheduling time for the gym or scheduling time uh, to go out to dinner, whatever it may be. I mean, people can look at my calendar in our company and they see pretty much everything on there. Uh, whether it be you know going on a date or whatever that is, um, it's it's on there. So that's one of the big things I do to kind of help me plan my week, my month, um, and my day to day. 
And then your role as, you said you're a project manager with some of our larger clients and your role is always to communicate between them and the, the developers, the designers, you know, you're really the go-between on some of our larger projects and ultimately, you know, project managing our project managers. So you really see this, this project manager as a whole, you know, what is the importance of a project manager in the, the design and the development stage, not only with Iron Forge, which in the industry as a whole, because not every company has specific project managers. And I think that's where a lot of projects potentially go sideways. Yeah, I think one of the biggest um, things to stress and, you know, our project managers are quite different than most companies um, and what their day-to-day jobs are. Um, but I think really the biggest thing is keeping the same project manager throughout the client's entire life cycle. Uh, to make sure, you know, they can carry everything with them uh, through the entire process. Um, We do have backups in place, you know, as far as documentation and things. If somebody were to get sick or, you know, be gone for a week where somebody else can step in. Um, But ultimately, you know, keeping that same flow, communication, and really building a relationship with the client, you know, throughout their life cycle. You know, some clients we've been working with for over three years now um, and others, you know, we probably will be working with them for three, five, 10 years um, in the future. So it's really, you know, creating that almost bond uh, between the project manager who is ultimately their, you know, main point of communication um, throughout their whole project. And it really becomes somebody they can trust and say, Hey, you know, I need to get this done. You know, what's the best way we can approach this problem to try and bring this to fruition. Yeah. And I I think that's something that I've, I personally, I know I struggle with, with the, discovery stage because I work with a client in the discovery stage. They sign a contract, they move on to design, move on to development. That's the last I ever see them, you know, until they, they call me and tell me, Hey, we've launched the app and we want marketing advice now. And, you know, but until, you know, usually for a six month period, they're working with a team. That's not something where I necessarily work with them because, you know, I build a relationship and then my role is to, you know, continue on to the next client, continue to work with the next client on the discovery. Whereas our project managers, you know, either Kendra, Sandra, yourself, whoever it is that works with us during this discovery stage, they do pass on with them. And I know that's been a really positive feedback when we're having those handoff meetings and we're having the conversation with clients where we can turn around and say, actually, you're going to carry on working with Kendra, carry on working with Sandra, um, Sandra, carry on working with Jeremy as you go through. You have the ability to be able to then take that prior knowledge. And there's not this this onboarding of education that I think is where a lot of companies pass it up and you have another issue then of, of things being misunderstood. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, a lot of our clients are dealing with some pretty complex problems. Um, so trying to keep that clarity throughout, you know, each project, you know, whether it be one project over the course of six months going from, you know, discovery to design to development, um, or we have some clients, um, you know, one of our large ones in particular, who he has four active projects with us currently, um, and bringing somebody else in, um, you know, in the middle of a process is quite difficult. Um, So keeping that, you know, same face throughout the entire process definitely helps us, you know, move through and keep that relationship going forward. Um, And we, like I said, we have as many backups as possible. Uh, to try and document everything. And, and if something were to go bad, um, we have, you know, all of that stuff there to kind of keep moving forward um, with that. Yeah, absolutely. And then with your standpoint, you, you know, you've obviously not been a project manager for 10 years. You know, this is something that I think you, you came into in the last couple of years relatively new to. But before that, you have been involved in previous technology startups, which I think allows you to have a little bit more of an understanding of, of not only what's possible with the technology, but also on managing client expectations. Like myself, you ran your own previous technology startup before 
joining Ironforge. Can you talk a little bit on, on your experience with that, kind of the, maybe just some of the industry that you're in and, and really how that has helped you evolve into the, obviously the, the, the project manager and chief operations officer that, you know, we see in front of us today. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really unique perspective. I think most project managers that would be in my position or chief operations officers have never had the experience of launching their own tech startup or having companies that they've run in the past. Um, it really allows you to understand from the other side of the coin of exactly what clients want. Because um, most of the time they don't know how to explain it to you or tell you exactly like some of the frustrations they may have or how to explain um, you know, what they're looking to do ultimately um, with their software development or design process. So um, it's given me a, a great perspective to be able to kind of see it from both sides. Um, and I think I brought, you know, a lot of great things to the company of like how we can better communicate to our clients. Um, I know that was the one of the big things when I um, was dealing with uh, tech startup is just the communication and, you know, the documentation ultimately throughout the process of making sure to understand what the client actually wants. I mean, it sounds very simple, um, but one of the biggest things is really making sure we understand everything from start to finish, um, which is why we go through so much documentation process um, and just making sure everybody's on the same page and that we can actually like get their vision um, and produce it ultimately in the final product. And I think that's, and I don't know if you remember, I remember one night back in, I think it was either December or January of this year, me and you were sat having a beer talking and we're laying, laying some of the frustrations that we'd had when we'd run our own startups working with, you know, different, different technology and different software development companies that we'd worked with in the past before obviously working with iron forge and one of the big things that we said is the most frustrating thing is it doesn't matter where you go who you talk to they always give you a price and you sat there and you're thinking how the hell do you know what price they give me you know absolutely nothing about my product and yet you're going to give me a price to be able to develop something after a 30 minute conversation and you know an hour later a few days later and the discovery process was born and that's something that you know we implemented in december and since then i mean we've performed over 80 discovery processes just this year and, you know, we've really seen the, the not only the, the conversion rate from discovery to continue on with design development, but just the value that we can bring by being able to spend a little bit of time up front and know the position that our clients are in. And that's the biggest thing is, you know, when you come to Ironforge, whether you're a, a non-technical founder, whether you're a, a, a technical background, whether you are a team and industry expert, we have members of our team that have all been in that position that you're in. And therefore, whoever's going to be working with you is going to have some experience with that and be able to touch on a lot of things that you're probably experiencing and a lot of things that you maybe don't realize that you're you're experiencing and realize that you should be thinking about, we can suggest those for them, which ultimately is going to lead to a, a better process and ultimately a better experience working with Ironforge. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I remember the day we were sitting there and trying to think of a better way to understand what clients actually want. Um, you know, and you and I kind of put our heads together and, and basically created what the disco process is now um it's come a long way you know in the past year but i think it's 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 amazing to see how helpful it is to really understand and pull out all the information that we need from a client and understand you know what their dream you know ultimately is i mean a lot of the people that we deal with whether it's a startup company who comes to us with a one sentence idea you know is the big thing that i always say it's like hey i want to I want to build a, uh, a ride sharing app. It's like, okay. Um, and going through this discovery process, we're able to actually build them 
a business um, mm -hmm. is really what it is. Or you have individuals that come with us and say, hey, I have this problem. I need your help trying to solve it. Um, so no matter where people come from or where their business is at, um, the discovery process has truly been um, a key component to help us understand their business, but I think also help the clients understand, you know, what the possibilities are and how we can help them, you know, ultimately achieve their goal. Yeah, and I think uh, it was uh, one of our clients was on the podcast, gosh, four or five weeks ago now, and we asked them, you know, what's the value of the discovery process? And they said, it helps us flush out the ideas. Now, that client actually loved it so much, they're about to start their second discovery process with us for an entirely different project. And, and that's obviously going to be another great experience working with that particular client. But it really does help the the clients and, and the, the non-technical founders, the industry experts, the, you know, the entrepreneurs that we work with on such a, on such a close and, and frequent basis understand what's possible and, and have a second set of eyes look at it and go, actually, you know, maybe that monetization strategy doesn't work. Maybe you should look at doing this, this, and this. And we're not here to tell you the exact way to do it, but we can tell you what we've seen successful with the hundreds of clients this year we've worked with. And we can tell you what we've seen has been unsuccessful with the hundreds of clients this year that we've worked with. And there, there are trends and we've started, to, started to, to notice a lot of those trends. And having that insight, I think provides tremendous value to any of our, any of our clients that are on the edge about doing the discovery process. It really allows you to flush out the concept and be able to give them some, hopefully some constructive criticism and then be able to lay out a path forward to actually get to market, fundraise, you know, gather the capital, wh whatever that strategy is. Now with, with your startups, you know, when you ran your, your previous startup, the technology startup, you did fundraise, correct? When you were, when you were starting off the business. Yeah. I mean, we went through, um, we obviously put a lot of personal capital in, um, and gave up a, a lot of things. Um, but ultimately, yes, we did end up uh, raising some capital, which is one of the hardest things to do, um, in a startup community, even, um, now more so with everything going on with COVID. But, um, yeah, we were able to successfully raise, um, you know, we went through multiple different iterations of our product to finally get to the, the ultimate end result. Um, you know, but having kind of a technical team behind us, you know, was one of the really big things that helped us. Um, it's just one less thing we have to worry about, um, you know, being a CEO um, and running my own businesses in the past. I mean, a lot of things come on top of you um, and anything you can kind of give off to somebody you trust uh, to handle a piece of that business um, is super helpful um, to kind of make, you know, what we have today. So, Awesome. And you weren't always working in the technology space, were you? And there are some stories that we are going to get into later with some of your <laughs> previous ventures, because I know, what, I know what you did before you did that. And I don't think everybody, even in the company knows. So before working with your technology startup, you had a couple of other businesses that, you know, I think did, did okay. And then either you didn't have the passion for, you stopped doing some of them did very well. Some of them didn't do so well. What other type of industries and companies have you worked with prior to getting into specifically the technology space? Um, oh boy, there's uh, quite a few of them. Um, my own companies that I've run um, outside of my full-time career before getting into the tech uh, industry. Um, the first startup was a DJ company. Um, I kind of did that on the side, did weddings on the weekends, um, DJed for a bunch of formals for um, the sororities in college. Um, so it was, a, it was a really fun thing. Um, I didn't really look at it as a business for a while um, until, you know, I started getting some repeat clients, had a bunch of weddings that I DJed um, and really had an amazing time 
met a lot of really cool people. Um, you know, and that was kind of during my college career. Um, I just DJed a wedding, I think probably nine months ago, uh, for a friend of mine who said, Hey, I need a DJ. I'm like, all right. So I pulled out all my stuff out of the basement, um, and, you know, went there and then had a great time. So that was, um, you know, one of the ones, you know, throughout my college career, um, you know, that I've done and every once in a while I'll, I'll dabble a little bit here and there. Um, I also had my own lawn business, um, called lawn scholars. Um, that was another startup that I had with another uh, friend of mine, uh, in college as well. Um, you know, that we ran for a year or two. Um, it sounded like an amazing idea to start off with and until you have to go and mow all the lawns. Um, I think in our first six months, we closed like 35 contracts. Uh, so we're mowing 35 lawns, um, and trying to find people to basically hire to mow them. Um, so that was, you know, one of the big things. Um, I've also, one of the bigger ventures I had before, um, you know, coming into the tech industry was a taxi company. Um, so we basically went into uh, little whitewater, Wisconsin. Um, and one of the biggest things that we found there is that there's really no good taxi service. There's no way for, college students uh, to get around from, you know, after a long night out on the town to get back home safely. Um, they had a company there that really didn't do anything. They didn't show up. It took over an hour to get anywhere. And it's like, okay, you know, I think this could be a business idea. So we went and started a company, um, bought this uh, van and kind of decked it out with a bunch of lights and iPads and all this stuff. Um, and it worked out great for months. And then all of a sudden, um, this other company came in and basically just killed our business. Um, we couldn't keep up with the, the amount of taxis that they brought in. I mean, they're a, a nonprofit organization, so they're subsidized by the government and everything else. So, you know, ultimately the taxi piece didn't work. Uh, so we, um, iterated again, uh, and bought a bus and turned it into a party bus company. Um, so we ended up basically, uh, for a couple of years, we had, um, a party bus that would be booked out by, you know, bachelorette parties or, I mean, you name it, we, we did it. Um, I mean, it, that was a, a lot of fun as well. Um, definitely learned a lot in that experience, um, kind of growing, throughout. Um, ultimately, in the, in the long term, we decided to kind of shut the doors and, and move on to bigger and better things at that point. But um, those are just a couple of other businesses I've had um, in the past, just very high level. Um, and while all of this uh, was going on, I was a full-time college student um, going to get my uh, business degree in sales and marketing. Um, which I finally did finish. Um, took me, I think, four and a half years, um, but I did it while working full time, paid my way through school, um, which, you know, not many people can say that. Um, was also president of my fraternity for uh, multiple years um, in college, all while um, kind of running these businesses. And then was in the auto industry, um, was kind of my, you know, career path at the time uh, throughout college. So, you know, I started when I was 18 um, working as a sales guy at a car dealership, um, in between all of my classes and everything else I had going on. Um, I think I worked 48, 50 hours a week 
plus went to school full time and then ran some of these startup companies on the side. And, uh, yeah, I did that for, um, a long time. And that's really where I learned a lot, um, throughout that span, not only for client relations, but sales, um, management, I kind of moved my way up over the course of six years, um, from sales to, you know, senior sales representative. Then I did uh, inventory management. So I would do all the car ordering, um, pretty much everything in the auto industry. Um, you know, manage detailers, uh, work with the sales managers, and then ultimately moved up uh, to a finance manager. Um, and I did that for uh, a year and a half. And then I had an opportunity um, within the same company to move up to general sales manager, uh, basically running a team of salespeople, uh, running all the inventory um, at two auto dealerships. Um, so yeah, it's, I've had a, a busy, a busy life, but um, honestly, it's given me a, a ton of experience and a lot of um, what not to do um, and really helped me kind of get to where, you know, I am today to, you know, help clients that we have coming through the door and give some different perspective in a lot of different industries uh, that I've been a part of. Well, let's talk about making that jump because you, you work your way up through a specific company. Obviously, you know, it's in college, so you're still relatively early on you still have the ability to say all right i I can do anything i'm still i'm 23 years old who cares i can always come back but you've actually worked your way up through a successful company quite a big name car dealership and you're at a point where you're now a regional sales manager you know two different operations that you're managing and then you say all right i'm gonna i'm gonna quit it all and i'm gonna go and run a tech startup you know how is that leap and you know a lot of people talk about doing that when you're in your mid-40s because a lot of people you know, it takes them that long to get to that point. Now you've already been a high achiever. You've already got to the point that a lot of people go to business school to get to that point. And you've done it before you even graduated. And then you say, all right, guys, I'm, I'm out. I'll, I'll see you later. I'm going to go and try my own thing. And then, you know, how was that adjustment and, and what allowed you to have the confidence to make that leap having gone from making a paycheck to suddenly not making a paycheck? Yeah. I mean, it was, probably the hardest decision I've ever had to make. Um, you know, I, I worked on kind of this business idea, you know, for a while before I ultimately made the decision to do it. Um, but it, it really came down to where I saw myself in the long term or even the, the midterm. Um, and really the biggest thing was owning, you know, and running my own company, you know, whatever it was, um, obviously, through all my previous endeavors, you can see that I've always wanted kind of my own thing um, and to be a part of something, you know, bigger. And um, it, it took a lot of time for me to leave the company I was at. I mean, I truly loved everybody I worked with. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I was good at it. Um, and most people would have just stayed there. You know, they would have kind of lived out for 30, 35, 40 years and just done that same thing and then been happy. Um, but I always knew that, you know, I wanted more. I wanted the, the, what, you know, what was next for me, kind of the next chapter um, in my life. And it was, you know, I wanted to kind of have my own business. So had this great idea, um, worked through multiple different iterations, you know, and that's kind of how I got into the tech industry. Um, and, you know, got a hold of Iron Forge, And, you know, that's one of the reasons that I'm here now. Um, but making that leap, 
um, selling everything I owned. I mean, I had a house that I had purchased while I was in college uh, in between all of this, selling all my toys, uh, motorcycles, boats. I mean, just getting rid of everything um, and kind of putting it all on the line for this next big thing um, is what I did. So just kind of went and, uh, and went for it. And yeah, that's, I guess the rest is history because now, now I'm here. So. Yeah. Cause I always think it's interesting because a lot of the, a lot of the clients, a lot of entrepreneurs that we talk about and, you know, for myself, people say, Oh, well, you were so brave to start a business out of college. And in my head, I'm thinking I had no expenses. I had no mortgage. My rent was like a thousand bucks a month. I knew I could run a, a business 60 hours a week while working at a bar 20 hours a week and cover everything that I needed to do. And I could still go out on the weekends. So I remember thinking, I was like, it's really, for me, it was the opportunity cost. I didn't actually, I wasn't selling things to do that. I wasn't personally investing my own capital because I didn't have any to invest. And that's why when people say, you know, like when you started recruit you, you know, how do you, how, how is it still, it's been going for three years with the capital you raised was because we've always been very lean. You know, we've never had to invest significant capital. We started lean. We've always operated lean. It's always been, we've always had the mentality of when the worst happens, we're prepared. So we know we'll survive things like COVID when the entire athletic departments of the country shut down. And we knew, we knew for us, that was fine. You know, we just, we'll, we'll, we'll battle down some of the advertising and, and we'll get through that. Whereas for you to, to take that leap and jump in, I think has a tremendous amount of courage because you're putting your own money on the line. Yes, you've raised outside capital. A lot of clients do. But what we say to a lot of our clients who are starting to go, I want to build this. Great. Well, it's going to be $150,000. Great. Well, for $15,000, we can build you a prototype. Okay. Well, I don't have $15,000 to invest. And at some point as the entrepreneur, you have to either shit or get off the pot. You know, you have to put your own money in. And the way we do it with the prototype and the development and the fundraising often allows entrepreneurs to do that for a fraction of the price to be able to really justify. And that's why we do it that way. That's why I encourage clients to do that. But as for any of our clients that are listening and for anybody that's listening that's thinking about starting a business, at some point you have to make that jump and back yourself. And you can't always play with other people's money. If you've not got your own skin in the game, it can become very, very difficult for you to be, for you to be a uh, really a, a notable company to invest in because why would I invest in you when you've not got your own money in it? And I think that for you allowed you to go on and fundraise, to be successful, to generate the traction that you did. And then ultimately obviously led you to, you know, bigger and better things having now kind of moved on to Iron Forge and really heading up our entire operations department and, and entire project management for a, you know, a much larger company now. And it's, it still allows you to have that entrepreneurial mindset. I think with, you know, the, the team that we have at Iron Forge, the fact that we are all entrepreneurs and we're a bunch of really CEOs that were put in the same team and said, go and be the CEO of your own department. It's like, great, like we can do that. And, you know, obviously we have a lot of departments that work very closely. I know mine and yours work very closely together, um, but we had the ability to really run them as our own little companies within the company. And that I think has led to the success we have is that you had a lot of very high performers, a lot of type A people that you put in a room and said, go and go and go and make this happen. You know, it's, 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 it sounds like a recipe for disaster and it has just really, hit the nail on the head by just allowing people to go on and, and, and be high performers, but with the support where your weaknesses are covered by people who that's their strengths. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest, I guess, pieces of advice that I can give for, you know, what I went through. Um, I mean, going from making great money in college and having all these things. Um, one of the, the coolest things that I got out of all of it 
was really understanding things that you can live without. Um, with having to sell everything and not having a paycheck for 10 months um, and not much money in your savings account to kind of live, um, it, it really helps you put in perspective of what things you actually need um, to survive and what things you actually want. Um, so it's, it's, it's really helped me understand kind of those, those differences. And a lot of the things I had, it's like, okay, I don't really need any of this. Um, so that was one of the big things. And I guess the second one is, you know, you're not going to get anywhere if you don't take a risk. Um, it was the biggest risk I've ever taken. Obviously I've taken risks on the other companies and um, it didn't work out, but ultimately, you know, it's a huge learning experience. Um, and if I had to go back and do it again today, I absolutely would because the amount that I've learned uh, throughout that process um, has been, I mean, you, you can't, there's no monetary value to it. Um, it really, you know, helps you put a lot of things in perspective and, you know, whether it works out or not, um, it's, it's always a learning experience. And as long as you kind of look at it that way, um, it's definitely going to help you move on to the next big thing. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. I think I was talking with, uh, with San, one of our clients, uh, a few, a few weeks, back, maybe in a couple of months back now, we were talking about the MBA versus the startup and which is more valuable. <laughs> and both of us said, uh, startup hands down, you know, the, the things you're going to learn doing that far surpass what any in the classroom education can get for you. Um, now, you did say, you know, you, you've learned what you can live without. You've learned what it's like to, to really strip down and, and go to basics. Now, you have this, this fake background that you've put on right now, but you're not fooling anybody. Where are you currently located at the moment? And let's talk about your current living situation, because this is one that I find fascinating. And I know people listening are going to be interested to hear the story of how this happened. And can we have a, a quick tour of, of your current location? <laughs> Uh, I don't know about a tour. It's kind of a mess, but I can take the background <laughs> off. Um, so yeah, we, you know, as a company kind of made a decision to um, invest um, in a couple of different RVs um, for some of our um, staff to kind of travel the country. Um, so I'll pop my uh, background off. This is an actual photo, by the way, of where I am currently um, up on the mountain. I took this last Saturday. Um, just to put that in perspective, but you can see I'm uh, in an RV, um, have started the RV life and been able to, you know, kind of travel the country um, over the last uh, couple of months, um, you know, and look forward to kind of seeing what else is out there in the world. You know, it's definitely a crazy time um, with everything going on nowadays with COVID and people being on lockdown um, and really having the ability to pick up and go anywhere I need to go within a matter of a couple of hours um, is truly incredible. Um, you know, especially now where you kind of do need to be remote away from people um, so we can continue running our business. But, you know, ultimately, you know, we've been able to run a tech company on the road. Um, you know, we have myself and Sumner, our CEO, which I think he'll be popping on next week. Um, I'm actually, he's, he's right next door to me right now. Um, we're up in Northwestern Montana, Corum, uh, about an hour from Canada. Um, we've been up here for about the past month now, and it's, it's truly been incredible, um, being able to 
work every day, you know, in a company that I love, um, and also be able to see some of the most amazing views in the world, um, has really been incredible. Um, and hopefully, you know, our goal with the whole RV and, and mobile, um, office and mobile team is once COVID's over with is actually to be able to be anywhere we need to be for our clients. Um, being able to meet in person um, and be anywhere in the country, uh, I think is going to be a really unique experience uh, for us um, as, you know, um, people in the company, but also our clients being able to be there in person for some of their major events or, you know, if they're starting a new development project, I mean, I can go on the road and I can meet them in their office um, and be face to face. I mean, there's, there's no company that I know that's able to be pretty much anywhere in the country within 48 hours notice. Um, it's, it's pretty, pretty incredible if you ask me. So. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think it's, it's, it's a fantastic story of how really COVID allowed us to kind of realize, I mean, we've all worked remote, been in the office, you know, for the last couple of years. And, you know, for me personally, when, we were suddenly in California in San Diego and they said, Hey, you're going to be on lockdown. I'm thinking, I'm not going to notice anyway. I don't, I work from home. I go to the gym, I go to the grocery store. That's it. So for me, I was like, I'm not really going to notice. I remember having that conversation with clients back in March and they said, Hey, how's it been since you shut down the office? Thinking it's been about the same. Actually our productivity has gone through the roof. So yeah. for us now, you know, six months later, we've all worked remote. I, I've had, you know, Kendra, Sanzana, Nick, Jarrah on the podcast who, you know, Jarrah I've not seen for you know, months. The, the other three I, I've never met in person. We have employees now all over the place who are proving this concept of being able to successfully work remote. And then to take that a step further, we're now saying not only can you work from home, but you can work from anywhere. You know, you have mm -hmm. Wi-Fi. I mean, you're in the middle of Montana. Your Wi-Fi is as crystal clear as mine. I'm in, you know, San Diego in a house and you're in the middle of Montana in RV. The Wi-Fi is crystal clear. We can hear you perfectly well. And for all intents and purposes, you can now work from ever. And I think this is going to be a huge change in, in the way that people work and especially tech companies. You know, I can see some of the, I know you see Google and Facebook, they've, they've made small changes to do things like this, but more and more companies, I think are going to follow this path of saying there is no need now to be in one location. You can be wherever you want and you can really become this, this digital nomad and be able to travel around and, and see some beautiful sites whilst also being productive and getting your work done without the hassle of distractions of, you know, either being at home or being in an office with people where you're just not as productive. Yeah. I mean, it, it was definitely a, another big life change um, to go from being a homeowner and kind of having all of this stuff um, to now, I take my home with me anywhere and everywhere I go, um, hook it up to the truck and kind of just go wherever I need to. Um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, we can now work from anywhere. I mean, I'm on basically the base of a mountain, uh, in Glacier National Park and, you know, I'm, I'm working, um, you know, next week I'll probably be in Las Vegas for a while. Um, and then I'll be heading down to San Diego, um, back to our place down there for a little bit. Um, but just being able to be mobile and not be stuck anywhere um, and be wherever we're needed to be, um, you know, it, it's really a big relief, honestly, um, to be able to do that. I mean, especially how much we work all the time um, to be able to take, you know, a weekend on a Saturday or Sunday off for a couple of hours and go see some, you know, amazing mountain views or float down the river, um, whatever it may be. Um, 
yeah, it's, I think this is really going to be the future of, of companies, you know, and we're kind of on that, you know, pinnacle piece. Um, and so far it's been working out pretty well. So. Good. And how long have you been doing the RVs for? How long have you been full-time in the RV? Um, I think it's been seven weeks, six, seven weeks so far. Um, so not a ton of time, but, um, it's, I, I truly enjoy it. Um, I thought it was definitely going to be a little bit of a struggle. I mean, obviously you have a, a much smaller kitchen, um, than most places, but you know, I still have a closet. I still have a king size bed. Um, I have a shower, refrigerator, fireplace. Um, you know, you have my dog bed that you can see behind me. So he kind of travels with me wherever I go. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's refreshing to know that at any moment, no matter what's going on in the world, you can pick up and kind of move to the next place, wherever that may be. Um, I mean, obviously, we can go anywhere in North or South America, uh, it just takes some time to get there. So. Awesome. Well, we're definitely going to get you back on the podcast in six months and make sure that you're still... <laughs> Still in just as high spirits with it. It's, uh, but no, I think it's, a, it's an uh, amazing opportunity. I think the, the, the fact that you have the ability and the flexibility to be able to do that is, is fantastic. I know, you know it's something where we all love traveling. I know, you know we, we have a joke with our clients when we talk to them and they say, where are you? And the state changes all the time. Um, mm-hmm. It allows us to have that flexibility to be able to move around. And it, it's something where I think it really is at the, the forefront of that next step of working from home because this is is now becoming more and more of a of a trend of i don't want to sit in in my kitchen table in my one bedroom apartment mm-hmm. at work it, it's miserable and i'm paying you know if you're around in in you know la or, or you know even in san diego a one bedroom apartment you know you're paying two thousand dollars a month to have this experience which to be honest is not worth it when you can see about the other options um but no i mean jeremy it, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Um, I do want to be obviously respectful of your time because I do know how busy you are. And I don't <laughs> I got want another to, meeting uh, here in a few minutes. So that's what I was thinking. So I, I do appreciate your time on this. Um, thank you for taking time out of, out of your hectic schedule to come on, on for this quick interview. Uh, we will be posting this video and podcast shortly. If you are out there listening and you're an entrepreneur and you would like to be featured, you can reach out to me directly at roach at ironforge.co. Otherwise, stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you next time. Yeah, thanks, Chris.